Thank you, Rafe. Um, good morning, everyone. We're going to do that again because, yeah, you're here. I appreciate it. We're going to try it one more time, see if we can get everybody else. Good morning, everyone. Better. Thank you. Thank you. I'm sorry. I, I have to get some response somewhere, otherwise I feel really alone. So, uh, as Rafe mentioned, my name is Thomas Pakovitz. Uh, I am an attender at Park Bridgeport and an elder there. I've been serving there for a couple years. And uh, although I don't attend here, I know many of you in this room, and I appreciate your guys' heart, and I appreciate working alongside our brothers and sisters here in the South Loop. Uh, I know we always get to connect over different activities, like this past week over Christmas Eve and getting to share a service for you. And it's always a pleasure to be up here and getting to spend more time with you. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Psalm 13. If you have your Bibles or a Bible app, uh, feel free to open up to Psalm 13. And if you need a Bible, just, just raise your hand. Someone will bring, bring one of the Bibles to you. Uh, be happy to pass them out to you. If you um, don't have a Bible at home, I want to make this clear. If you don't have a Bible at home, take this Bible with you. It's yours. Write your name in it. Take it home. We want everyone to be able to have a Bible to read in it. If that's what's preventing you from being able to dive into God's Word at home, please uh, feel free to take that with you because uh, we are passionate about God's Word. We believe that it is what transforms lives and what's going to do a good work for us this morning. Uh, I'm going to be honest, the, today's subject uh, may come across as a, as a little selfish here and uh, uh, even prideful, but I, I think it's a conversation we need to have as a whole, and I think it's very fitting because there are times where I tend to be very selfish and very prideful and, uh, and, uh, pride, and somebody who just struggles all around. The good news is God's not done with me, and he's not through with me yet. And I know that God's not through with you either. He's working and he's doing a good work. And I believe he's got that planned this morning. So uh, Psalm 13, we're going to read all of this together. So please feel free, read along with me. How long, O Lord, will you forget me? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemy say, I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But... I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. But I, and I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much that you are doing a good work in our lives, that you have dealt bountifully with me. God, I praise you for who you are and that you are present, that you are here God, I ask that this morning that you may speak to us. Please put me to the side, God, and may you be magnified. May you be glorified. May the conversation that's happened this morning be between you and us. Help us to hear from you. 
We love you, Lord. We thank you so much for who you are and for your son. And it's because of him that we're able to sing, that we're able to praise, and that we're able to pray to you. And it's in his holy and precious name that we pray. Amen. I love our condo. My wife and I, we have two daughters, Abigail, who's six, and Kyla, who's two. And I love the place that we live at. Uh, about five years ago, we bought our very first place ever. Uh, it's, a, it's a unit in a six flat down in Hyde Park. And I absolutely love it. I love that we have uh, close walking distance to some great restaurants. It's close to the lake. It's close to the museum. All that's really amazing. It has its own parking spot, so I don't have to stop the laps around uh, to try and find a spot. What a blessing that is. I love it. Not only do I love just the aesthetics of it, but I love that it's become a home as well. I'm sure many of you guys feel the same way about the place that you live. I love that on Saturday afternoons when there's not a whole lot going on, I can sit on the couch and put in a movie and have my daughter sitting next to me and just feel at home and at comfort. I love opening up our homes to friends and to family, inviting them over for dinner, sharing and breaking bread around our dining room table and getting to just share life together. I love our place. Having said all that, there are times that our condo is completely frustrating. It is so difficult sometimes. The building is over 100 years old, and so with that comes a lot of issues and quirkiness, as some people would call it. You know, it has issues. The most recent issue that I've been dealing with over the past couple of months is our boiler system. Uh, I don't know about you guys, but I know absolutely nothing about boilers. I don't know how they work. I don't know what's supposed to happen. I just know that we have one and we're supposed to get heat from it. But unfortunately, that hasn't been happening lately. And it's my job, apparently, to fix the boiler system. So here's a picture of our boiler. I don't know if you guys, you guys may look at that and say, oh, of course, this is obvious. I look at that and go, I have no idea what that is. I don't know what I'm supposed to do with that. All I know is it's not working the way it's supposed to. I kind of turn into Ralphie's dad in a Christmas story when the heat's not working and he sees smoke coming up, has to run downstairs. That's me. When, I, when it starts getting cold and, and the boiler's not working right, I got to run downstairs and fix it. Uh, and I have spent a lot of hours the last month down in the boiler room hitting things and twisting and turning and buying parts on Amazon that are the wrong parts that I have to replace and get exchanged for the right part. And I make uh, good trips to the local Home Depot. And, and at the end of it all, I'm still just, just as frustrated. And there's, at the end of it, uh, there's sometimes in the boiler room that I'm sitting there going, it'd just be easier to move. Let's just move. Let's start over. Let's start fresh. I don't have to deal with the boiler anymore. I'm happy to report the boiler is working. Uh, it did take somebody else coming who knew what they were doing to fix it, but it is working. And, uh, but man, there are some times that I love our condo, but they can be so frustrating. And this morning, I want to talk about frustration. I want to talk about frustration with God. In any relationship that is real, even stuff that's trivial, like your car, your house, there's moments of frustration. But even with a family member, 
or a friend or, a, or somebody that's a significant other or even your own child, there is always going to be moments of frustration that you have with them. And the same is true with our relationship with God. There are times that we could be frustrated with what God is doing or not doing in our lives or in the world around us. There are times where we question whether his plan really is the best plan. Does he really have an idea of what he's doing? And I want us to dive into what do we do with these questions? What do we do with these frustrations when we're so upset? How do we take these feelings and interact with God? You know, there's plenty of examples in the Bible of people who had moments of frustration with God. Uh, the example that I want to share with us today is Leah. Leah is somebody from the Old Testament, from the very first book of the Bible, in the book of Genesis. And her story, uh, we kind of look at it, and it seems like a very sad story. And, and I can understand and see her frustration. And, and we get introduced to her in Genesis chapter 29. In Genesis 29, we're in this situation. Uh, we don't hear a lot about Leah and it's because she's kind of a minor character in the story that God's weaving in the book of Genesis. But what she does is unbelievably important. I think her frustration is important for us to see as well. And in the story, we see Jacob, uh, one of the patriarchs of the Israelite nation. He has just stolen his bl the blessing from his brother and has fled to his uncle Laban. And it's in Laban. Laban has two daughters, and one of them's Leah. And this is our introduction to them. In Genesis 29, it says, Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. Jacob loves Rachel. And he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. So here we are, the very first time we hear about Leah, and she is immediately being compared to her younger, more attractive sister, Rachel. All we know is that Leah is, is that she was weak in the eyes, and in, in this translation that basically means she was unattractive, and that Jacob, this suitor who has come from a faraway land and has come to, her, to his uncle, the suitor was fascinated and overwhelmed with love for her younger sister, Rachel, and ignores Leah completely. My question, I, I look at this and I have to think, how often has this happened to Leah? How many times have they gone to the town square and Laban takes his two daughters and Rachel, there's a crowd around her while Leah's off to the side? How many times has she seen where she's forgotten and Rachel's getting all the attention. I could just see the frustration welling up inside her once again as Jacob comes and serves these seven years. He serves them. It says in the Bible that he serves them and they were like it was a day because he was so in love with Rachel. Unfortunately, it's not just Jacob who's ignoring Leah, but it's even Leah's own father, Laban, who also doesn't believe that she is pretty enough, smart enough, confident enough to be able to create a path for her own. So he intervenes on the night of the wedding that was supposed to be for Jacob and Rachel, 
Laban acts and pulls in a deceit on Jacob. Listen in uh, in verses 23 through 25. It says, But in the evening he, uh, Laban, took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob, and he went into her. Laban gave his female servant Zilpah to his daughter Leah to be her servant. And in the morning, behold, it was Leah. And Jacob said to Laban, What is this that you have done to me? Did I not serve with you for Rachel? Why then have you deceived me? The night of the wedding, Laban takes his own daughter Leah and replaces his other daughter Rachel to marry somebody that she was unknowingly going to marry. And as this veiled woman goes with her now husband and goes and spends the night with her, the next morning, as opposed to a moment of celebration and a moment of joy, is a moment of accusations, of pointing fingers, and of frustration in Jacob. Imagine Leah in this moment. Imagine her heartache as she was just used as a replacement for her sister. Jacob goes on to say that he's willing to serve another seven years for Rachel. And after that time, he goes through these seven years and he marries his, her, Leah's sister, Rachel. And later in life, as Jacob has married both of these women, it states that he loved Rachel more than Leah. In fact, it even goes further in another story that Leah was despised and hated. Not exactly the stuff of a Hallmark Christmas movie, right? Not this love story that we were expecting. Imagine Leah's frustration to God saying, is this the life that you had planned for me? Is this what's in store? God, where are you? This doesn't only occur in the Bible, but it happens today. Frustration with God is so clear. This time of year especially, it, this stuff gets brought up. Whether it's Christmas around the family and friends or New Year's as we reflect upon the past year, our time of frustration in the past year can always bubble up. Maybe you were ready for the next big step in your career, but unfortunately instead your organization had to make some cuts and you were on the chopping block. Maybe uh, at this point you were really hoping, you know, I hope that that special someone I get to bring in the new year with, but the right person just hasn't come into your life. Perhaps you and your husband have been hoping and praying and working to start a family, but things just haven't progressed the way that you were hoping to. Maybe this past year you've experienced the loss of a loved one, of somebody that you truly care for, or maybe you had to go through the heartbreak of a miscarriage and not getting to experience the person at all. All of these can bring about frustration in asking, God, what are you doing? What is your plan here? How is this working out for me? You know, in my own life, I know the biggest frustration that I had with God happened around the same exact time that I believed that I was following him as closely as I could. In 2012, my wife Amanda and I, we both quit our jobs we took all of our stuff, we piled it all together in one big trailer, and we moved across the country following God and what we believe to plant a church 
here in Chicago. At the time, I was working at a church in Virginia. It was, it was going well. I was working on my master's degree of divinity. And after fervently praying and struggling with God with what was next, what he wanted to do in our lives, a man and I were in complete agreement that he was calling us to do something radical. We moved to a city that we had never lived before, and we connected with a church for the first year. We did a leadership residency where we learned about church planning, where we were diving in uh, about what we were supposed to do, do. In that time, we met with church planners and pastors across the whole entire city. We started meeting with people across the world. We networked. We went to conferences. I tried to soak in as much knowledge as I possibly could. And after that year, we started laying the groundwork for planting what we believed was going to be our church. We started meeting with people and connecting in relationship and growing one-on-one. -on -one. We dove in completely. But before we knew it, three years had gone by. And at the end of it all, everyone in attendance had the same last name. It was clear that no matter what the call that God had placed on my heart, this church was not going to get off the ground. For the next three to six months, a man and I just spent a lot of time mourning the loss of something that became so precious to us but never really materialized. How could God have done this? We honestly believed that we were hearing from God and that he was directing our steps, but he was directing it for failure? Where is God what is he doing? In this time and through that time period, I read Psalm 13 a lot. And the reason why is because the psalmist just expresses the emotions that I had so well in a way that I could never do by myself. Read with me again these first four verses. How long, O Lord, will you forget me? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken." In this psalm, you can see the worshiper is on the verge of despair. They simply can't take it anymore. God's apparent indifference to their plight is obviously frustrating them. Has God forgotten? Is God hiding his face so he doesn't have to look me in the eyes? Imagine his, the feeling of emotion and frustration and hurt. Imagine Leah as she looks and sees her husband with her younger sister, the happy couple as they go about their day, and she's left alone. Has God forgotten? I'm sure she felt the same way. I know I did. And I know for many of you this morning, you're feeling that emotion as well. God, have you forgotten me? God, is this really the plan that you have for me? I know that this could be frustrating, and I, I know this is hard, but the question is, what do we do? I think there's a few things that the psalmist does that I think is extremely important for us, and it's, it's important that we take note of. 
The first thing is that he brings his frustration to God. Bring your frustration to God. How many of you guys have ever had an issue with somebody, but they had no idea that you were mad at them or upset at them because, you know, you never actually brought it up that you were upset at them. They would have no idea that you were mad. I know I've done that a couple times, and it still may be going on, and I know that it's probably happened for you as well. This is not God. God isn't in the dark about your feelings and your emotions. God knows that you're upset. He knows that you're frustrated. He knows this is not what you thought the way it was going to go. But he wants to hear from you. He desires relationship with you. Just because he knows your frustration doesn't negate the necessity of, for you to talk with him. Jesus himself explains it this way, come to me, all who are labor and he heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Notice how Jesus' explanation is not, I'm going to come to you and I'm going to take care of all of this for you. But his first phrase is, come to me. Are you coming to God? Are you coming with your baggage, with your frustration, with your hurt? And are you talking to God about it? God is interested in working with you. Look at the psalmist. He doesn't leave the frustration to himself and just let it build up and grow to resentment, but he works it out with God. Too often we allow our frustration to push us away from God when we should be causing it to run towards him. It is in those dark times, those times of despair, of mourning and sorrow, that we shouldn't shut God out but we should be leaning on him to carry us through. The psalmist just doesn't end with his frustration, but he moves on to something even greater. Let's read these last two verses. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully for me. And this brings us to our second point, is that we need to trust in God's past and present actions. Where does the psalmist turn? He turns to the character of God and the actions that God has already done. I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart will rejoice in your salvation. Frustration is something that is real and it's honest and it's something that God wants to hear from you. We just need to be careful that this frustration, this anger, does not give us the right or the justification to position ourselves to accuse or mock, or mock God or to think that he has somehow sinned against us. The truth is that God is wiser and stronger than we could possibly know or imagine. Although we may not see it, God has a plan in all that he does. He doesn't do this by explaining to us but he does it by revealing himself to us. Look back at the story of Leah. In spite of the frustration, in spite of the anger, God doesn't come in and magically fix all of her problems. In fact, we know that she lived faithfully to her husband Jacob for the rest of her life. Yet, 
God was still at work. You see, Leah, although unloved by her husband, had many sons and had a daughter as well. One of those sons, his name was Judah. And through the line of Judah, a man came eventually who would save all of mankind, Jesus. As we read and we went through the genealogy of Jesus in December, the very first week, it said in Matthew 1, Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. Although God seemed absent in Leah's life, he was working a story to bring about the redemption of all mankind. If it wasn't for Leah and her faithfulness and her reliance on God, Jesus wouldn't have come. In another example within the Old Testament, Job was a man of God who had a large family. He had wealth, he had land and property and animals, everything that would be considered successful in that time. Yet all of that was taken from him. His children were killed, his land and animals stolen, Leprosy arose around his body and crept on his skin. His wife leaves him. For the entire book of Job, Job is frustrated. He's upset and he's crying out to God, asking, demanding for an answer. His, his friends come to him, try to console him, try to tell him to repent of the sins that he's committed, which are at the time unknown to him. But when God finally does speak to Job, he talks to him, but he doesn't give a why. He doesn't give an explanation to the actions that took place, but he gives a who. Who is God instead of why did God do this? Frederick Buchner puts it this way, God doesn't explain, he explodes. He asks Job who he thinks he is anyway. He says that to try and explain that kind of, kinds of things to Job wants explains would be like trying to explain Einstein to a little neck clam. God doesn't reveal his grand design. He reveals himself. God doesn't need to explain his activity or inactivity. He's God. We just need to know who God is and trust in that. God is love. God is justice. God is all-knowing, all-seeing, and able to get us through any circumstance. He is that loving Father. And even though you may not see it right at this moment, He is working your story for His glory. I know in my story, it hasn't gone the way that I thought it was going to. This is not the plan that I had. Instead of church planning, I've been working a job in the legal industry. I've been working and taking care of my family providing for them, and serving the church where I can. Yet through my own struggle, I can remember what God has done for me, that it is because of him that I'm free and that I have purpose and meaning in my life. It is because of him that I am truly able to live and that God has always led me and guided me and that I know that he hasn't abandoned me. If I didn't follow God where I believed he called me to, I would have never moved to Chicago. And I would have never been able to go through the process of connecting with Park Community. And years ago, when we made the decision to multiply, I, never, I would have never gotten to be a part 
of a successful church plant by helping launch Park Bridgeport and getting to celebrate Park South Loop as well. Even though it wasn't what I had imagined or I had planned, God was working a plan in his life. And I'm excited to continue to serve my amazing God and see the kingdom continue to grow here on the south side of Chicago. It's not what I expected, but it's what God desired. And I rejoice in his wisdom and in his knowledge. When you think God has forgotten you, he is here. And I, I can promise you that I know that he's here because it is most evident in his son and what he did on the cross. Jesus Christ came down and lived specifically for us. Jesus is God's biggest message to say that he knows exactly what you're going through and he is doing something about it. Philip Yancey, he says it this way, in a modern world that presumes God's absence or lack of concern, Christ is God crying, I am here. Because of Jesus, we have the assurance that whatever disturbs us disturbs God more. Whatever grief we feel, God feels more. And whatever we long for, God longs for more. So wherever you are at this morning, I I want you to know that God understands and is with you in your frustration. Maybe you've never even started that relationship with God. You don't know about this love and this relationship that God wants to have with you. I want you to know that he is here for you. He has the ability to take on whatever you're dealing with. If you would just come to him, if you would just place your faith, I encourage you not to waste this moment, but to trust in him. Maybe you have had this relationship, but you're still dealing with the struggles of this world as we all go through it. But I can promise you, it doesn't matter what you're dealing with, whether it's loneliness, heartache, illness, suffering, stuck in a dead-end job, mourning, or just nothing in particular, Jesus is there with you. So what do we do now? Where did we go from here? Here are some takeaways from today that I hope that you bring with you in your times of frustration, whether that's now or in the future. The first is to talk to God. It's simple, yet so hard to do sometimes. Don't make your faith just the list of things, of belief statements, but make your faith a relationship with God. Are you talking with him? Are you spending time with him? God is a loving and caring father who desires to have a relationship with you. Are you having a good day? Talk to God. Are you having a rough day? Talk with God. When things are easy or when things are hard, when you know exactly what you're supposed to be doing or you don't even know if you're supposed to get out of bed, God is ready for you. It starts with a conversation, so make sure to talk because I promise that God is trying to talk with you. The second thing is to experience the joy of your salvation. So often, that fact that Jesus came, he lived a perfect life, he suffered unjustly, was crucified, died, and buried, and rose from the grave, becomes mundane and normal behavior. We lose the radical nature of what God has done, and we lose the foresight of the amazing gift that our salvation really is. 
God has already done an amazing work in your life. In our times of frustration, we may feel like God is ignoring the hardest part about our lives, but the truth is that God has already taken care of the hardest part of your life by sending his son to die on the cross for you so that you could be free from a life of despair and sin. But there is an opportunity now for you to live a life of joy. So do what you need to do to remind yourself of the salvation that God is working in you. Sign up for the, Bi for the Bible plan this upcoming year so that you can be daily reading about how Jesus is working in your life. Maybe you need to set a reminder on your phone to read through a chapter a day. Maybe you need to write on your mirror in the mornings your favorite scripture so that you don't leave your house forgetting the joy of your salvation. Work to memorize a particular scripture that you know will help you during your times of struggle. Do whatever you need to do to make sure that your salvation is at the forefront of your mind. Also, remember God's character and his work in your past. You know, if you journal and on a daily basis, if you do that as part of your devotions, this is where that really comes in handy. Because in your times of frustration and anger, you can go to your journals and look back and see where God was present in so many parts of your lives. If you don't do that, that's okay. There's still opportunity for you to remember God that you have done, what, what he has done in your life. Take a piece of paper and write out where are moments in your life where you saw God present, where you saw God act in a way that you didn't think was ever going to happen? What, remember your past and remember how God has been working in your lives. Also write down God's characteristics, the things that you know that God is to recall. God is love. God is justice. God is merciful and gracious and caring and all-knowing. And God is that loving Father who is here for you. Spend time meditating on his characteristics, helping recall that even in your time of frustrations, that he has steadfast love for you, that he has salvation and is never going away. The last thing that I really encourage you to do is to not do this alone. You know, Satan, he wants you to believe that you are the only person struggling with what you're going through. He wants you to believe that you're alone in this, that nobody can possibly understand the emotions that you're feeling or what you're going through. But the truth is that, that, that that's not the case. All of us struggle. All of us have times of despair. And it is in those times that we need to lean on one another as a family of believers to rely on each other in our times of struggle. I know even in this past week, I went through an experience where my family had a family emergency, medical emergency. I had to fly out, go visit my sister who was in the hospital. And through that time, just reaching out to my small group, I got text, I got messages. I had friends who came over to take care, help take care of the girls while our boiler was being fixed. All of this stuff came together because I knew that I had a loving family that was supporting me here. I pray that you are not trying to do this alone. Don't enter 2020 by yourself, but begin the process of getting connected, getting plugged in, 
Make sure that when you leave that you connect with somebody at the Connect Bar and start getting plugged into a small group where you can start doing life with somebody and that you can be sharing your frustrations with God with others as well who can help you and guide you to rely on God through those difficult times. You know, as we celebrate the Christmas time and we enjoy this last week with remembering Christ's birth, the name Emmanuel comes up the month of December, and it means God is with us. It's something we celebrate every Christmas. But it's not just something that God is with us because it happened 2,000 years ago in a manger. But today we can celebrate Emmanuel. God is with us today. God is with you, and he is with you in everything that you're going through. No matter your circumstances, no matter your frustration, God is not leaving you. I pray that you lean on him today and that you realize that even in your frustration, we can say to God, be the glory. May you do that this morning. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much that you are a good God. Even in times where we don't see it and we question and we struggle with what you're doing in our lives, God, we know that at the end of it all, that you are a loving Father who is working out good for me. I trust you, God, even in the times where I feel like I just, I just can't understand. God, I know that you do. I trust in you. God, this morning, in this room, whatever frustrations are had, whatever anger, whatever is on our minds, God, may we lift it up to you. May we take it to you and know that you will listen to us that you are hearing us and that you want to speak to us this morning. We thank you, God, and we praise you. And at the end of our lives, no matter what may have happened, we may be able to say, may the name of Jesus be praised. We love you. And it's in that name that we pray. Amen.